This is Agent Carter on Defenders TV Podcast, Season 1, Episode 1, Now is Not the End. Welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast, the home of the Marvel Netflix series, but also the home of Agent Carter. This is Defenders TV Podcast episode 19, where uh, we will be looking at the Marvel show Agent Carter, which has now arrived in Ireland and the UK. I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm Derek, your other host. Really excited about this one. If you've been following us on Twitter for the last while under Defenders Cast, uh, you'll have seen that we've been really excited about the coming of Agent Carter to the UK. It was almost an, a possibility that what, that it was never going to come here. Um, it's broadcast in the US a couple of months ago in a short short run, eight episodes, but never got a release in the UK. Luckily, thanks to ABC Studios UK and Fox UK, um, the program's now been released and we finally got a chance to see that wonderful Agent Carter and all, in all her goodness and gloriousness. And uh, a lovely red Stetson hat looking stylish and cool and all feminine yet hard and tough and yeah. rocking. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And of course, it brings you one step closer to S.H.I.E.L.D. That's in right. the form of the SSR. Yes, yes. That's the it. Strategic Scientific Reserve. Mm -hmm. The precursor, if you will. To shield. Yeah. For those of you listeners out there who've been with us since the first episode, you may have heard me talk about one of my favorite films was Captain America, the first Avenger. Uh, Agent Carter ties directly into Captain America, first Avenger. We'll talk about that a lot more, I'm sure, over the course of these episodes. Um, it is my favorite movie because it's very much about one of my favorite characters, Nick Fury, and his Howling Commandos becoming Captain America's Howling Commandos. Um, Agent Carter is a great character, really interesting character, and I've been really excited about this show. Uh, this is also a show that I saw footage for at New York Comic Con last year, making me hugely excited for the show, and then unfortunately never got to see an episode of it. So I'm delighted to finally get to sit down and see the show. So uh, that's me, and I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about it too, just purely based on Hayley Atwell's brilliant performance in Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, absolutely was not expecting that kind of love interest um, in the in the film. And it, when it was there, it felt real genuine. And Hayley Atwell did a bang on performance, really, um, of being the first Avengers um, confidant. Um, pep talker but also uh, lover and, and friend yeah. and it was really really good and for me a lot of that emotion came out as well and continued through um, into this first episode of Agent Carter really really good alright John do you want to tell us what we got with the plot synopsis for episode 1 of Agent Carter in 1946 a year after the apparent death of the love of her life Steve Rogers Peggy Carter is relegated to secretarial duties in the Misogynistic Strategic Scientific Reserve, the SSR. The latest case of the SSR is the manhunt for Howard Stark, who is now accused of treason, branded a traitor for selling weapons-grade tech to the enemies of the US. In hiding, he secretly recruits Peggy to clear his name, giving her the services of his butler, Edwin Jarvis. Before he flees the USA, he explains that one of his bad babies 
nitramine is about to be sold on the black market in New York. As Peggy investigates the nitramine sale, the mystery of the cellar deepens and unknown, dangerous forces close in on Peggy as she finds herself in increasing jeopardy as she is warned that Leviathan is coming. Oh yes, oh yes. This episode was directed by Louis Desposito, who is known for his work in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He worked on Iron Man, worked on Avengers Assemble. Certainly did. Uh, very heavily involved in the, in the Marvel Universe. Delighted to see that he was involved in this. He also did the Agent Carter one-shot, which was the kind of the cause of this show, essentially. The reason for this show was a small Blu-ray extra um, for for Iron Man and kind of gave us some kind of backstory for Agent Carter and really the reason that this show has been picked up. It showed her that she was a capable, um, meticulous, um, and really powerful female character. Um, one, I think, that has been... Um, really given a great strong voice in in the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually think that this is uh, one of the comic book characters that really has given a great female character. And that's played on in this episode anyway. And I suppose this would kind of lead me to um, my first point. Mm -hmm. We are like with Defenders TV podcast, like with the Hannibal TV podcast that uh, I do with my friend, well, with our friend Irene, um, we take five points from the the episode. Uh, and mine is really just the, um, the emotion of Peggy Carter, mm -hmm. played by Hayley Atwell, in this episode. I think that there's a, a number of them that just, it puts across the writing even more so, really makes you feel for her. And it really kind of comes from three main elements. One is obviously, as I said previously, just the, that link to Captain America. You really get the sense that she's missing him hugely from the previous film on the fact that she's lost him. She thinks he's dead and gone. Little does she know there's a little Captain America popsicle um, mm -hmm. up there in the Arctic. Um, but you know, that emotion that she portrays and projects to the audience, I really um, I really felt that. And I think that also then comes with the, I think, the death of her roommate at the hands of this unknown um, assassin that tracks her down to her apartment where she's sharing with, I think it's Colleen is, is the, her, her roommate. And, and that too is... Um, you, know, you, you see again there's a real deep emotion um, being portrayed here in this TV show. And then I think the other is just that inner strength of Agent Carter living in 1940s um, US. I mean, but obviously not. it's not restricted that kind of um, society um, to the US. It was obviously occurring in Europe as yeah, well. But yeah. just that, um, you know, inner strength required to be a, a female in a, a, a male-dominated work environment and, and world at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. And certainly, um, I know from in the UK that there's very much that, that moment where, because all the men were fighting in World War II, all the women were called upon... Um, very much outside of the box for the society at the time to take up um, hard labor, doing manufacturing work, to build tanks and um, bombers, to be involved in things such as espionage, um, yeah. 
working in jobs that normally would not have seen women uh, uh, being uh, being in those roles. Yeah. Even things like land girls in the UK, where they were essentially becoming farmers, and but doing the physical work, not just simply being a farmer's wife or something. Mm-hmm. All these roles, you know, during the course of the war, all had. Um, women taking over from the role of men because the men were off fighting generally and all of a sudden the end of the war comes and to some extent reverses did happen yeah and and that was kind of a blow in a sense and and that made you know all of a sudden they've been doing these really important roles next thing that's gone and been taken away from them and really what we see in agent carter and the manifestation of that is that you know she was high level espionage involved in really secret development of Captain America that whole program and now she is essentially being asked to do filing and administrative work in the SSR absolutely and um, she wants and she can do much so much more and i love that emotional connection to that inner strength of agent carter as well as then just her sensitive emotional side and um, from missing Captain America and feeling responsible then for Colleen's death. I thought it was really, really well done by Hayley Atwell yeah. and really great writing from um from the creators. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a couple of really good points that you bring up. And it's definitely one of my points, obviously, is the performance of Hayley Atwell in this episode. It is fantastic, I must say. A couple of little good things that they did bring into it. You mentioned about the about women taking on the roles of the men while they were away fighting the war. Great moment with Colleen when they do meet. Um, they do share a room, essentially, because Colleen works every hour of the day. Uh, Peggy seems to be a bit more flexible in her role because she's as you say, working answering the phones in the SSR, so generally has a day job. Colleen comes home, obviously dog-tired from her work, letting Peggy know that 10 people, 10 girls have been let go because 10 GIs got released from the war. So this whole story seems to be, or this whole episode, seems to be centering around how women dealt with those, that displacement of their traditional role, um, becoming the worker and the provider for their family, and then having that rug pulled from under them when, they were basically being asked to go back into the back into the kitchen in the 40s when their husbands came home or when their boyfriends came home or when, you know, nobody connected to them came home. Their job was just given up and given to the to the GI so that they had some work when they got home from, from war, essentially. Um, but I love that, that Peggy has a different arc than a lot of the other women that we see, or, well, definitely Colleen in this episode because she's the central woman for um, to, to kind of show the juxtaposition of what's happening with Peggy. But she does have a different role here. Peggy had a huge amount of responsibility. And clearly in the first Avenger, she fought her way to that position in the army where GIs didn't talk back to her. They treated her as an equal. She was absolutely on the field of battle. Um, in First Avenger, you see her being talked to by one of the uh, one of the new recruits and she cuts him down instantly, which is what we love about Peggy Carter. But she's now been put back into a society who doesn't treat her like that, who says to her, you're here to answer the phone and take notes, and that's it. That's all you're there for. Peggy's going to fight that, but she's going to do it with a really strong female quality, a really strong sense of character, and yeah, you absolutely call it out correctly. Love Helly Atwell in this. Absolutely brilliant performance. So Derek, what's uh, what's your first uh, point? Yeah, I think, I think probably my second point, because as I say, Peggy's definitely my first point. But my second point is also kind of connected to yours as well. It is the connection to Captain America. Huge lump in my throat at the opening in this episode. Did not expect 
that final scene from um, from Captain America, the first Avenger. I didn't expect that to be the opener of the episode, showing the interplay between those two characters and that moment of loss for Peggy as she sits on the phone and hears the final words of Captain America, of Steve Rogers as he goes, saying, you're my best girl, saying that I want to go to the dance with you next week and we know that's never going to happen. Oh, look at me, I've got a little lump in my throat even I thinking know. about it now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I had that too. I, I It's one of my points, so we're, we really are uh, crisscrossing our mm-hmm. points here. I just thought the fact that it linked so um, nicely with the events of Captain America, mm-hmm. the first Avenger, the whole sort of final talk and dialogue between Steve Rogers and, and Hayley Atwell from that film, yeah. and then the radio cutting and going dead, but also just having Dominic Cooper back as well as Howard Stark, I just thought was was really, really good. And, and of course, we see him in a completely different situation here than we did in the film, where he's very much, again, involved in the army and um, supplying them with um you know gifts that they can use to rain merry hell down on their <laughs> enemies here he's cast in a different role that well maybe he wasn't all genuine and of course we're moving into that whole um theme as well of the cold war mm-hmm. and obviously with the soviet union and this idea that um giving um weapons grade you know he's essentially being branded a traitor yeah. um giving weapons-grade tech to enemies, which, okay, in the 40s and within the Marvel Universe, it could ultimately be something like an AIM or a Hydra or Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, But it could alternatively be um, the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Very much that play um, that's going on there. And I do like the fact that even though there was that connection there with Captain America, it actually, in terms of Dominic Cooper, who came into episode one of Agent Carter, that he's cast in a completely different light and a completely different role as the man on the run, in a sense, and potentially, we don't know yet, being the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So really good. Yeah, a nice little tie again to Iron Man, to Tony Stark. Um, at the start of Iron Man, you had Tony Stark essentially still being the businessman, still selling weapons, uh, obviously brought from his father, so we knew that um, Howard Stark was going to be dealing in weapons and they've done it really well here where it opens the episode on you know the funny playboy who who essentially builds weapons of mass destruction is actually being cast in the light of um, criminal number one by the US government a lot of great little parallels there with the McCarthyism um, of that period where uh, people were being accused of being traitors um, just because of their their individual beliefs um, yeah, a lot of people turning on the, uh, the the playboys of the time who didn't go to war. Um, so quite an interesting little, little moments in there. It's really good, really good episode of the show. So, John, what's your next point? My other point is just the, the lightness of touch in the writing of the show and in uh, elements of the character, which just really injected so much fun into the proceedings. Absolutely. Whether it was just like the Britishisms that, like Crikey O'Reilly or <laughs> or as the rocks on oil refinery is about to explode that you know Peggy Carter is quite calmly trying to say would you mind pulling the car around to to Jarvis despite the fact that you know utter annihilation is imminent that cool-headed sort of unflustered stiff upper lip kind of dialogue of a of me of someone from that era who's from Britain 
really, really liked. Um, obviously, born in Britain, but it's like, you know, it, it's it's something that felt real, and that that's what they would say at that time. But it was done with a lightness of touch that didn't make it feel stuffy. It made it fun, given the dire situation that they found themselves in. So I really like that lightness of touch. I love the fact that as well, um, you know, Jarvis is portrayed as someone that, you know, goes to bed at half eight, even though he's a grown man. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems as though potentially, whilst he keeps things away from um, his wife and you don't see his wife in this episode, that he's probably um, the one that's bossed around a bit. I get that sense. But I love the fact that, you know, whilst Peggy is dealing with, you know, weapons grade and stark tech, um, is, is battling bad guys and so on. You've got Jarvis who's making a souffle for his wife, and I just loved that. I just it was so funny. I mean, I think I tweeted out that you know both of them classically trained, one in the art of war and one in um you know cordon bleu and, and being able to make the perfect souffle. And that was really really good <laughs> touch, really good fun, some light humour, which really just. I thought was sparkly uh, within the context of this episode, so I loved it. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. good. Absolutely, James Darcy is a great casting choice for this for the show. He's so good in this part, and he plays a really great foil to uh, to Haley Atwell. Um, again, as you say, you know, we we've talked about it a minute ago about the uh, about the men from war coming back and and having to take back up their roles. It very much feels like James Darcy is taking up the role at the time of the woman in the household. He is the one that's cooking food for his wife when she re- when she returns home from work, presumably. Um, he is the one that cleans up after all of Stark's messes that he gets into. He mentions it a few times about having to get the starlets out of the house and make cover stories for Stark and where he is. Um, I love the idea that Jarvis is this character, that he is the, the PA, essentially, to to Stark, he he's essentially taking up that role that Pepper Potts will play to uh, to Tony in in the future, um, which I think is really interesting. And ultimately, we see the vision in his nascent uh, being, mm-hmm. yeah, his yeah. nascent form. Yeah. He's the vision. Yes. So Little does he know that, that he will become the vision. Absolutely. That eventually, uh, Tony Stark will create the the uh, AI that runs his entire household based on this Jarvis, his father's his father's butler i presume something like that it's rather pa and who will eventually become the vision yes in uh, in the avengers so uh, yeah loads of ties it's all connected as they say in the marvel universe really really good big time derek what's your third point i definitely had had a very similar point about the pattern of the dialogue just the language between those two characters absolutely loved it you're you're spot on there uh, it doesn't feel like any other marvel show it doesn't feel like um, any of the Marvel films, it feels like these characters would naturally speak to each other this way. I love that pattern and how it's written. But one tiny point that I do have is about Roxanne Corporation. You did mention it slightly in there, but I think it's a huge point for me. Huge little nerd moment when I saw the Roxanne sign in there. Roxanne Corporation has been in every single Marvel movie. They've always had something in the background, a sign, something like that. And they're hugely important to Nick Fury. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. If you haven't read the comic book Nick Fury versus S.H.I.E.L.D., it's fantastic and shows how central Roxxon, the oil corporation, um, are to the Marvel Universe. And really cool to see them being used in here and really cool to, again, see the connections that we have in the Marvel Universe. This is just because it takes place in 1940. 
just ahead of um, all of the other Marvel films that have been made. Just because it takes place then doesn't mean it doesn't matter, which I love. I think that's a really good touch from the writers of the show, of the show to keep it grounded and keep it feeling connected. Yeah, and of course, like any evil oil refinery or evil industrial empire, um, it certainly gets sucked into almost like a, <laughs> a singularity. Um, yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> That was a great bit of special effects as well. Um, and I did note that the back uh, bumper um, and the number plate was ripped from the car. The car only just escaped from the ensuing chaos and madness that was um, was left because of the activation of the nitramine of, of unstable compound. Mm -hmm. So I wonder whether the number plate is the start of a clue for the investigation of that plant and who caused the explosion. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder whether that implicates, obviously, Howard Stark. Mm, maybe, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Interesting, interesting. It yeah. could, could well do. Uh, looking forward to seeing that now, definitely. Uh, John, what's your next point? I just want to say there were three people that showed up on the show that I did not expect. Mm -hmm. And so there were just moments where I was... Okay, that's a blast from the past. Yeah. That's a blast from another past. And there's another blast from the past. And they go in this order, really. Mm -hmm. There was Andre uh, Roya, um, who played Bubba in The Wire. Yes. And he was playing Spider Raymond mm -hmm. uh, in the club that Hayley Atwell knocks out and discovers um, sort of a vessel of nitramine and, and takes it back. But I was just there going, it's Bubba. It's Bubba yeah. from The Wire. Really good to see him in, in the show. Um, I presume he's only in the one episode, given that he was sort of taken out, really. Yeah, yeah, twice. <laughs> twice, exactly. But, <laughs> um, you know... <clears throat> It was really nice to see um, Andre Roya. Yeah, he cleans up well, doesn't he? The last time we saw him, he was essentially living on the street in the wire. He uh, he was just covered in dirt all the time and wearing clothes that he'd found. In this, he's dressed up in a nice, clean, sparkly white suit. Yeah, it looks, looks good cleaned up. Not a shopping trolley in sight, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, the next one was Chad Michael Murray. That's I right. was like... He played one of the agents, one of the SSR agents. Mm -hmm. You know, a bit of a... Male chauvinist about him, possibly uh, yep. there. Certainly at the moment, no. Uh, playing Agent Jack Thompson. But again, it was like Blast from the Past. One Tree Hill just came flooding <laughs> back. I was like, you know, the successor to Dawson's Creek came on in One Tree Hill. I remember watching it uh, quite a lot as mm -hmm. uh, grown up. And yeah, fantastic. I was like, oh, it's really good to see him on here again, you know. Hopefully his character gets a bit better, yeah. becomes less chauvinistic as the, the season goes on. So it'll be interesting to see how that character develops. But it was really kind of good, again, to see someone from uh, my past growing up back on the TV screen. Yeah, unfortunately, I definitely want him to get a sock in the jaw from Peggy. Uh, <laughs> a fisticuffs. A little fisticuffs from Peggy, I think. Yeah. He's, he's talked to her pretty poorly so far. And then the third one, mm -hmm. um, which... Might be no surprise, given that, you know, it's Marvel. There's obviously King Whedon has been involved. <laughs> and, and, of course, he is a Joss uh, Whedon regular. Mm -hmm. um, and that's Enver Jokaj, um, who plays Daniel Souza. So he's um, a war veteran who's 
still got um, sort of a, a, a long-lasting uh, injury, which requires him to walk with a crutch. Mm-hmm. But there you go. He's there, and I just suddenly Dollhouse came flooding back uh, to me as well, which was a great Whedon um, show, which was only for two seasons. I loved that show, and um, it was really, really good. So that those three um, characters that I just hadn't, heard about in the lead up to um agent carter it was literally you know very much about Haley atwell it was about um howard stark and jarvis so mm-hmm. to see some of these supporting characters uh, coming into play was really good and the fact that they just brought so many memories back from previous shows that i'd loved and i'd watched was great as well it really kind of started getting me bonding with Agent Carter even more in that sense. Yeah, so really loving this episode um, for a whole range of different reasons. Yeah, definitely. And brings me on to my next point. Um, It is Enver, uh, and it is his portrayal of Daniel Souza. Um, I think it's hugely important to call him out in this episode. I think he does a fantastic job playing this role. It's, you know, something that that they seem to be exploring very well. Heli Atwell's character is exploring coming back from war as a veteran and not being given the respect because she's a woman. And what Daniel Sousa's character seems to be exploring is coming back as a, an injured war veteran. Um, coming back with this limp, potentially lost a leg, is what he kind of explains. I think he, I think he's lost his leg. Um, but essentially being treated again as the, the kicking post for everybody. <laughs> Poor choice of words, Derek, sorry. Um that he's essentially at the bottom of the pile of all the men in the SSR office as well. Yeah. So he's just above the level of Peggy Carter because he is a war veteran, but but only just because he is an injured war veteran. I like that they're exploring this. And yeah, you see the empathy between the two characters and that they, they recognize that in, in a sense they're getting a short straw mm-hmm. um, at the SSR in terms of their assignments. Um, they know that they can do so much better than what they've been given. Um, and you can see that understanding and empathy and that connection as a result between these two characters. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see how that develops over um, this season as well. So I really like seeing that male juxtaposition of, in a sense, what Peggy, the female version, is is kind of feeling here um, to show that, you know, that it does go beyond... Um, just simply male female it can be common to both but um i really really enjoyed um their kind of connection definitely and certainly given what happens in the club as well with peggy the fact that she is photographed and they do get that film back you wonder whether that investigation may explode obviously if they can identify Peggy Carter mm-hmm. from the reel of film, as soon as they realise that she is somehow involved with Howard Stark and he is their number one priority, yeah. how will that blow some of these connections apart mm-hmm. if you know they do identify? But you yeah. know, in this episode, we do see that camera being uh, brought into the SSR, so yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that chucks a proverbial um, cat amongst the pigeons. Yeah, yeah, but I love how they've done this. As I said, this is this is my big point for, for Daniel Souza. It's just that they're, it, it's very easy in a show like this to just say, okay, this is a show about a woman who comes back from war. It's not. It may just be called Agent Carter, but they're filling the world out quite well 
with some characters that I'm interested in seeing what they're going to do as well for the next eight episodes. It would have been very easy to put Heli Atwell crying in a corner over Captain America for half the episode and fighting bad guys for the other half of the episode. But I'm liking some of the characters that are in here. Really liking the idea of of exploring, you know, the other side of uh, the other side of things, and 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 you know, the experience of a wounded war veteran is just as difficult a proposition as the experience of a female war veteran coming back. So I like that they're exploring both of them. Yeah. Um, John, what's your final point? Leviathan. Mm-hmm. That is my and final point. And <laughs> it's coming. <sighs> yes. What is it? Who is it? Where is it? Well, Who are Leviathan these sellers? No, <laughs> Who are these sellers? You know, what's going on? And I mean, is it obviously Roxon because it was at the Roxon facility? Is it obviously there's these guys with their voice box taken out mm-hmm. and there's two of them. And who are they? Who are they working for? Is it Hydra? Is it AIM? Is it the Russians? Is it some other secret organization? Um, who is it? And then just to mix it all up, you have a fairly cryptic... Um, conversation between Jarvis and Howard Stark right at the end where um, Jarvis says that Carter is an excellent choice who likely does not have any suspicions. What are they hiding and and can they ultimately be trusted? It is one of those things where on the face of it, I would be giving Howard Stark my trust on the basis of his movie roles Mm -hmm. um, in Captain America Winter Soldier. And the same with Jarvis by association. But here we have that slightly dubious conversation about what their true motives are. Are they for good? Are they for evil? Is there any truth to him being hunted down for selling weapons to enemies like the SSR are doing? Mm -hmm. So at the moment, that's still very much open. But I'm hoping that they can redeem themselves. But this conversation was just, oh, okay, so... Are they aware of Leviathan and maybe trying to engage with it to stop it? Or are they part of it? Yeah, yeah, really interesting, isn't it? Mm. Really interesting. I love these guys. They're so creepy. They're very like the original version of Hydra that we would have seen in the, in the Nick Fury comic books of the 60s. Um, Pre-Baron Strucker and pre-Sterenko going all crazy with his, uh, with his psychedelic drawings i suppose we'll, we'll put it that way um art yeah so, <laughs> absolutely but my some of my favorite art of course but um but some of the hydra agents at the time would have been people that infiltrated shield they would have been you know uh, that kind of thing it was very like a james bond good guy bad guy um you know two sides of the same coin kind of thing um these guys are really interesting characters i love that the way that you're able to tell who's a member of the of the cult is by the uh, by the three-pointed cut in their throats really interesting so i'm really looking forward to seeing what they do but i also love the typewriter i just wanted to call it out fantastic that seems to be the communication device that they have very reminiscent of fringe uh tv show that that i really really enjoy as well and um, so it's kind of a cold war era type for these characters but with a nice sci-fi twist and a nice little element of sci-fi. definitely yeah i really enjoy that so it's not a very not not it's not just an exploration of a woman coming home from war. There is also the Marvel element in there, and you can really feel it. In yeah, the, and the espionage. Scenes. I mean, it, it's very mm. Bondy. I mean, when the the bad guy was sat at the typewriter and he's using 
the old style uh, razor as an aerial yeah. and linking that into the typewriter. And I can't remember, it's probably on a box of cigarettes or something like that. Um, but that to me felt like Man with the Golden Gun where putting, you know, the gun together with a lighter and, and, and all this different kind of thing, yeah. a pen. So this was really, really good just how that they did that in in that situation again it just it chucks the whole espionage the spy game thing out there which is great as well yeah yeah and um, as i said that was my last point as well leviathan i couldn't not talk about it obviously this is the first episode of the series so a lot of our conversation will be quite will be quite similar it's very concentrated on bringing peggy to uh, to the forefront and the other characters to the forefront so and um, i know there's going to be crossover in this episode uh, do you have any notes about the episode at all john Yes, I do. I do have a few case files here from the SSR that I really liked. Um, Jarvis comforting uh, Peggy after Colleen had been killed mm -hmm. and she felt really responsible. And just the hand over the back of the booth I thought was really nice. Um, and mm -hmm. then I also then liked Peggy, you know, standing up for the girls and sticking it to the misogynist in the same diner who, you know, is really just being an absolute fool to um, the the waitress who yeah. Peggy seems to be befriending. She's just, you know, forking the side and is like, if I push any harder, this will burst one of your important arteries, you know, and you'll be dead and bleed out in five seconds. So tip well, and just the fact that he's chucking out his money <laughs> and, and she gets the tip that she deserves for having to put up with that guy. Really good. And just nice little touches. Um, so they're my two notes for, yeah. for this episode, yeah. definitely. Really good, really good fun, definitely. Um, for me, it's the gadgets of Peggy Carter. Yeah. She's definitely seeming very James Bond. Um, yeah, love, although James probably wouldn't use lipstick uh, to kill someone. I don't think he's ever done that before. Uh, but uh, but I love that she's got that little, that little twist of, uh, you know, being a beautiful woman out for a night on the town and kisses a guy on the lips and knocks him out. It's a great little femme fatale moment, and definitely being able to use those kind of gadgets. I'm really looking forward to seeing what's what she's going to use in future. Uh, and also, the fact that she was able to defuse the bomb, essentially, by using household items in her in her, uh, in her bathroom. Fantastic. You can tell she obviously was in the army. You tell us she, she's using her army training for something when she gets home. That's, fun. That's absolutely brilliant. Really love the moment when she's sitting in the bathroom with the smoke traveling all around her, pours herself a, hot, a, a cup of scotch and knocks it back after saving the world uh, and they'll never know she did it absolutely um and i, I love the the watch face that she puts onto the safe when mm -hmm. she uh goes to um open it and, and break the safe uh, i love that just seeing the the hands going one way then the other sort of really just old school mechanical way of doing it yeah. really really good right man from uncle kind of kind of style or spy or, absolutely know. and i think my final note would be the fight scene i really you know me i like doing things by threes and of course mm -hmm. um there is the fight scene between her and we'll call him one of the leviathan dudes mm -hmm. with the the voice box removed in her apartment you know she has a really good punch up and scrap and more than holds her own, but only just. Um, and, of course, he does escape and manage to live another day and do a bit of typewriting yes. as well. Yeah, but yeah. Um, 
That's really the scene good. We saw at New York Comic Con last it year. It was indeed. It was. It was. Um, but it was a great uh, little fight sequence, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, given some of the fight sequences that we've had on Daredevil mm-hmm. uh, with Charlie Cox and, and the the sequences there. This was a really nice little sequence where she's using the fridge door to to save herself. You know, she's got her face going up towards the gas flame. Mm-hmm. All that really, really good. So mm-hmm. good. nice little touch. Really good close quarters combat. Yeah, exactly. I always like a bit of that, definitely. Uh, I've got one final note. Surprise. <laughs> one final note is Dr. Vanko. Recognize the name? So Peggy goes to find out some, some information from a Dr. Vanko in this episode. Um, Dr. Vanko is the father of uh, Ivan Vanko, who is the is Whiplash in Iron Man 2, um, played by Mickey Rourke. Um, the character does mention at the beginning of that film that his father worked very, very closely with Howard Stark, Tony Stark's dad, and that's why he has a grudge with Tony Stark, because Howard apparently stole all of his father's plans and use them as his own plans. So is this setting up something new for later on in the season? That's a really good spot because, yeah, yeah that was um, absolutely central to Iron Man 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good, yeah. yeah and a good. nice continuity between the Marvel Universe yeah. on film and TV. Yeah, definitely. Great. Really, yeah. Definitely. Well, if, listeners, if you've spotted anything that I missed out or we missed out on our, on our coverage, make sure you send in your feedback to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. So that's our coverage of Agent Carter, Season 1, Episode 1. Delighted to have done this one. Uh, John, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? I do defend this episode of Agent Carter. I would give it four Red Stetsons out of five. (laughs) Um, I think the connection with the cinematic universe that they do in this episode is really good. I love the themes of female empowerment um, being brought in as well. Leviathan is teased. What is it? Who is it? What's going to happen in the future? And and just seeing this lightness of touch, you know, that is a fun element to uh, this show as well. And that is really nice. Mm -hmm. And I think there seems to be really good chemistry between um, Peggy and Jarvis, played by Hayley Atwell and... James Darcy, really good kind of connection seems to be there. And in fact, you saw that San Diego Comic-Con um, just last weekend. You know, they seem to have a really good friendship and connection off screen as well. So it really is was a great first episode for pulling you into this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing now where this goes um, so for me, this was a really solid, good episode and um, with lots of little references. Um, and I would give it a good, strong four Red Stetsons out of five. Derek, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? I can't say how, how much I defend this episode. This is fantastic TV. I had spent an entire hour with a big smile on my face, apart from the moments I cried. Um, which there were two. Um, I think this was, a, this was a tough episode and, and a really good one. This really got me exactly where I want, where I wanted to be, where I wanted to be. It, it got me in the fields. I think is the uh, is the Whedon verse phrase for it. Um, yeah, I really went along with this. This is exactly the show I wanted to see for Peggy Carter. I'm really hoping they can pay this off over the next seven episodes uh, of the show. It's at the highest of recommends for me. If you haven't watched it, 
and you've listened to our podcast, you've got seven episodes that we won't have spoiled for you. Um, go watch it. It is fantastic. You'll you'll fall in love with Haley Atwell in this character again. Yeah, well, I think with that, it's to say, please um, check us out on DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes, where the Agent Carter podcasts will be going up. Um, you can also search Defenders TV Podcast um, on any good podcast catcher, such as Stitcher, Player FM. And of course, any comments to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you, find out your thoughts about Agent Carter and um, anything on the wider Marvel uh, cinematic or TV universe as well. And so it's just for me to say thank you so much for listening. Yeah, we'll be back again next week with, uh, obviously, Agent Carter uh, Episode 2. If you're just joining us for this episode, remember... All of our other episodes about the Daredevil Netflix TV show are available on this feed. Just go and check us out on iTunes, as John said. Um, we will be doing one more episode in between episode one of Agent Carter and episode two of Agent Carter, which will have the full team of the Defenders, hopefully, crossing fingers, we can get the schedules aligned and get all four of us together in a room again. Uh, and we will be covering Ant-Man. Marvel's uh, Ant-Man. Uh, Marvel's Ant-Man released this week in, uh, in the UK and Ireland. So. Small but mighty. Yes. Small but mighty. Looking forward to that one. Yeah. Definitely. Should be good fun. So thanks again for joining us. We will talk to you very soon. Bye.